We're going we're gonna to actually start a new sermon series right here, at least for maybe a couple, two, three weeks maybe. And it, it's really just about the Holy Spirit, right? And today specifically, I'm going I'm to take you back to the book of Genesis at some point because I want to go back to the beginnings of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and here's, here's the truth. I don't, know, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of a Holy Spirit guy. Like, I love the Holy Spirit. I love the Father, I love the Son, and I love the Holy Spirit. And I love every aspect of who, who those three persons in the one Godhead are and what they do. And I'm just a Holy Spirit person. But here, here's the truth is that you can take a lot of things out of the church, right? You can take away the guitars. You can take away this building, you can take away a lot of things from the church and still actually have church, but you can never take the Holy Spirit away from the church and still have church. Because Christians are the people of God that are gathered together. And what makes them Christians is that they are a people that are filled with the Spirit of God. And when we cease to be filled with the Spirit of God, we cease to be the church. The church is not a building. The church is not something that we do on Sunday. The church are the people of God that are filled with the Spirit of God. Amen? And so you can take away a lot of things, but you can never take away the Holy Spirit. Now, as we, we begin to address the Holy Spirit and, and things like that, we're a church that we, wanna, we want to leave room for encounters with the Holy Spirit. But for, for most people, if you've, if you've been in church or maybe you've not been in church, but you, you kind of have one or two different mindsets concerning the Holy Spirit and how He works and what He's doing. Now, for some of us, and, and, I, and I've been in both backgrounds, but for a lot of people, and we have a lot of people from different denominations, different backgrounds, different views of the Holy Spirit, and we like that. We don't care. We love diversity. We're not saying you have to be one way or the other. There are certain things that I even think you can disagree with me on and still be a part of this church and still be, and still be here with us in fellowship because you don't have to agree perfectly on everything, right? And we believe that. There are some things that are essential. There are some things that are non-essential. But, but, but when it comes to the Holy Spirit, people have different ideas, different backgrounds. Like if you, if you grew up in a mainline kind of denominational church, then odds are your view of the Holy Spirit was that you, he, he wasn't really a central focus of your gathering. He wasn't a central focus of your gathering. And really as far as the expectations of the church and the people went, there were, he was really not expected to necessarily do anything. And he was sort of relegated to about two things. And that was that he would convict you of sin when somebody preached the word. And he might comfort you, right, when you go through a difficult time. Those two things. Now here's what I believe. I believe the Holy Spirit does that, but I believe he does more than that. Now, here's, here's another group of people is that maybe you, you got started in church because when I grew up, I grew up in a Catholic church. And listen, every Sunday, I love I loved the Catholic church. I'm not saying anything negative, but every Sunday I knew exactly what was going to happen. You know what I'm talking about? Like you get programmed in it. You know exactly what's going to happen. And, and, and so there, there are churches like that. And is the, can, is the Holy Spirit still at work in churches like that? Absolutely. But we want the fullness. I want the fullness of the Holy Spirit to be at work. But here's the other side. And I think we have groups of people in our church on both sides of the spectrum. I think we have people in our church that are really kind of nervous about the Holy Spirit because they've heard some strange things about Him. Maybe they went to a wacky church service one time. Anybody ever been to a wacky church service? Yeah, I've been to a few. I've been right in the middle of a few. Amen. So, so we, that happens, and sometimes you, you, get in that, you get in that realm where you're afraid of the Holy Spirit, and so you just you want the Holy Spirit to be under control. You don't want Him to do anything out of the ordinary because you like ordinary. You like everything to go as planned, and, and, and you like it to be that way. And so when people start doing things that are un, unusual, you're like, well, I don't know about that. That may not be God. I, may, I don't even necessarily believe in that. 
And then there are, on the other side of the spectrum, you have people who they invite the Holy Spirit into, into the, the, the church setting and the church gathering in a profound way. Like their whole service is focused on whether or not the Holy Ghost is going to move. You know what I'm talking about? And if he doesn't move, then we didn't have church. Amen. If, if something didn't happen that was just outrageous, we didn't even have church. You know what I'm talking about? And, and, and you be in that church, and I was in one of these churches, like, like it, we, we knew we had the best church services when the preacher didn't even get to get up to preach. Amen. Right, that's how it went. That's, that's, what, that's what we kind of believe. And so you got people on the two opposite sides of the spectrum. But actually, Scripture sort of, sort of brings things into order. And it begins to show us that there's a certain way that these things are supposed to be done. Because, because what happens among this other group that, that I was involved in is that when you think about the Holy Spirit, you only think about the dramatic. Amen. Like the Holy Spirit's that dude whenever you go up to the front and get prayed for, people fall out. He makes you jerk or do something uncontrollable, right? You know what I'm talking about? Anybody with me this morning? And so, and so you begin to believe that this is the work of the Holy Spirit, and that's primarily what he does. And if he moves, it is dramatic. And it's something that is, that is very strong, and, 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 and it's going to do something. He's going to knock people over, you know? He's going he's gonna, to he's gonna make somebody speak in tongues in an out-of-control kind of way. And it's interesting to me the last two weeks because I've sort of been preparing to speak about the Holy Spirit and how He works among us. And here's, here's what I want to say about our church is our church is unique. Because we believe in the power of God. We want to see miracles. We want to see God heal. We believe in things like the gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues. And it just so happened that this morning the Holy Spirit chose to manifest those gifts. And, if I, and scripturally, if I were to give you an accurate representation of how that's supposed to happen, this morning was a good, accurate representation. The Spirit was beginning to move in worship. All of a sudden He, he moves through Caitlin as she is worshiping and He begins to speak through her about that, bringing life to that verse about not maintaining regrets. And the Spirit then says, you know what, I would like to emphasize this point to the ones that I love. And so a message in tongues comes forth, but when a message in tongues comes forth where everybody in the congregation can hear it, the Bible says that it is best that what you need at that point is an interpretation. You need somebody to come forth and say what that actually meant. It was designed to get your attention biblically, but what he says is, is that when the Spirit is speaking, somebody needs to come alongside now and interpret that in the congregation. So there was an interpretation that comes forth, and the Spirit begins to speak to the people so that their hearts will be open to what God is trying to do among us. Amen? Now, even so, last week, I don't, how many of you were here last week at church? Like, okay, so, so I don't know about you, but were you just like, man, that's an awesome church service? Because in our world today, here's the thing, like even if you go to church conferences, and I'm not opposed to any of this, but when you go to church conferences, they'll even teach things like, well, you shouldn't allow people to prophesy in your church, or you shouldn't allow people to do that in your church, because you'll freak out the new people. And, and let, me, I'll, let me be the first to say that I've been in church where it's hard for me to get my friends to come to church because they get freaked out every time they come. Anybody been there? And I, I don't like that. I don't like that. I want my, my, my friends that, are, that don't know Jesus to be able to come to church and be able to be comfortable and have a real, genuine encounter with God. Genuine. So at the same time, it's, it's like there's this balance that we're trying to keep as we want to make this environment as comfortable as possible for everyone. We do not want to freak people out, but we want the Spirit of God to move in a profound way, don't we? 
And do you think, now scripturally we think, well, you can't have one without the other. I mean, you just said things are going to happen and people ain't going to like it sometimes. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and so all of that stuff just begins to happen. And people begin to believe that. But the Bible says the exact opposite. Matter of fact, Paul gives a litmus test for whether or not the Spirit is actually moving among you in a profound way or whether it's just you moving. Amen? So let's, let's read this verse together. 1 Corinthians verse, chapter 14, for a, a few verses here. 1 Corinthians 14. You bring that up for me, please. Boris. We got some new guys in the back. There we go. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place. Now, this is a litmus test of how the Holy Spirit moves. Now, he's saying, look, we are the whole church, are we not? Guess what we've done this morning? We've come together in one place. Because the church actually throughout the week is scattered throughout all over the place. But he says, when they come together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Anybody amen me on that? Now, listen, if it, for you all that never been here before, if you had come in and every single one of us were just speaking in tongues really loudly, you would have probably said, wow, these people are crazy. Yeah, these people are nuts. Okay, that's what you would have said. And that's what Paul is saying. Now, what he is not saying is that tongues is a bad thing. Because he, is, he actually says in other places, he says to the Corinthians, he said, listen, I, I wish that all of you spoke with tongues. He actually makes that statement. And he says, matter of fact, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you all put together. But in the church, when tongues operates, it should be interpreted, he said. And in the church, I would rather speak five words that people can understand and that is powerful than 10,000 words in an unknown tongue. But here's the litmus test because I want to throw tongues and what he's saying in there with all the, 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 the kind of strange things that could happen in a, in a service, right? So, but here's the litmus test. He says, the, the test is when uninformed or unbelievers come in among you. Now, when you know that you're probably getting out, out into, into air and into left field is when they leave saying, these people are out of their minds. Right? Anybody amen me? I know y'all don't. This is good, right? Already. I'm just... Next verse. So then it says, but if all prophesy, and notice what it says, and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in... He is convinced by all, and he is convicted by all. And the next verse says, And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Now see, we had a minister, John Aitken, come last week, and what he did was he got done, and he began to to operate in a spirit of prophecy. And listen, what was so interesting about it is he went to people that have honestly never even been to our church before. But do you know what happened? When they left here, the one thing they didn't say was, these people are out of their mind. Matter of fact, I had somebody come up to me after the service and say that exact thing. He said, I know one thing, God was in here today. See, when the Spirit moves, it doesn't have to be dramatic and it most certainly does not have to be spooky or crazy or weird. If it draws attention away from the move of the Spirit and the work of God in a heart, and it draws attention to an individual in a way that creates like fear or tension or like I don't really get what's going on here, then it's more than likely not the Spirit. Now, when things like tongues and interpretation take place and you've never heard it before, that's going to be unique to you. And and especially if you've got a background where somebody said to you that's not of God, then it's going to be a hard barrier to break. 
But this morning, once again, the Lord operates in tongues and interpretation. But that's what Paul says. He says, he says when you're in the church, he said, you need to speak in a known language. But if one, one speaks in tongues, he said, let another interpret. Now, the gift of tongues is for everybody to have communion with God. And, and, and I'm not wanting to get into that. But I wanted to address that first because I want to say over this church that we're a unique church. We're not one side and we're not the other. We're not the people that say, hey, we're, we're afraid that it might scare people, so we're not going to let it happen. Sorry about that. We're not that church. But on the other hand, we are a church that we look to create an environment so that if nobody has ever been to church before, they can come in and not get spooked out of their minds and not say, hey, these people are crazy. I'm not coming back. Does that make sense? So if God moves, he's going to move in a way that is going to convince people, that's going to convict people, even the ones that are uninformed and unlearned. Amen? But before we do that, here's what I want to say. I want to get to something. I want to go, this is not my message. Maybe we'll get into this in the weeks to come more. I just wanted to address that at the start. But see, when we think about these things, these are usually the things we think about when we think about the Holy Spirit, isn't it? We usually think about gifts of the Spirit and, and all these different things. But I want to show you something completely different. And sometimes it is better for us to strip away all of the excess and get back to the root and to the, to the essence of what the Holy Spirit is. And if I'm going to do that, i got to go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. So look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. But there's a, there's a principle in the Bible in reading Scripture that scholars will they'll even teach you, and that's called the law of first mention. Basically what it is is that when something is mentioned for the first time in the Bible, it's setting a precedent and saying that this is the essence of this topic, this is the main thing that I want to emphasize about this topic, and it's going to set a precedent throughout the rest of Scripture. And that's happened. So the first mention of the Holy Spirit is right here in the very beginning, and here's what it says. It says, "...in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void." And darkness was on the face of the deep. And notice this. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. See, the very first mention of the Holy Spirit in the Bible is that he is a creator. And see, this is, this is very important when we think about the Holy Spirit because here's what happens in church is that we think that Holy Spirit is the one who only comes to, to actually separate us from this world. And he does in one sense. He separates us from the spirit of this world. He changes us and purifies us so that we're not influenced by the sinfulness of this world. He does that. But see, he's a creator. And when God created the heavens and the earth, he didn't look at the earth and say, boys, this is kind of bad. He actually said, this is very good. The world is good, but what's happened is, is we have preached to a degree that we think that almost that the earth is bad, and we begin to believe that salvation is that what God is coming to do is he's come to save us so that he can separate us from this world and take us to heaven because this world is bad. So at the end, he's going to save us, he's going to take us away from this evil world, and then he's going to burn the earth up in a fireball, right? But actually... Here's what's true is that the Holy Spirit is completely dedicated to his creation. And when he restores things, he created us, he created the earth, and when he created us, he said, you were made in the image of God and you are very good. 
and you're blessed. And when he created the earth around us, he said, look, all this stuff I created, it's very good. It's not bad. But sin entered into both us and, and the world. And in the beginning, we were designed so that as long as we reflected the image of God, this earth would reflect heaven. So here's the point I'm trying to make is the work of the Holy Spirit is not that he's going to separate us from the world one day. It's that he's coming to restore us to our original design. And not only that, he is coming to restore this earth to its original design. Salvation is not God taking us out of here to heaven. Salvation is that in the end, heaven and earth will come together and we will rule and reign on this earth as it was designed for eternity with God. Does that make sense? So all of a sudden things change because we begin to realize that the Holy Spirit is not trying to take us all to heaven really quickly and get us out of here. The Holy Spirit is trying to renew us into the image of God so that the earth would begin to reflect heaven once again. And I want you to understand something, that this earth was made to reflect heaven, but it only reflects heaven when you reflect the image of God. What happens is, is that Satan comes and tells us lies about ourselves and he actually gets us to turn against this world. To say, this world's evil, I don't want to be a part of it and all this stuff. Now, the, the current system of this world is evil. But this world itself, God has come to, he has come to drive out the darkness and say, let there be light in this darkness. And you are the light of this world that shines in this darkness. And he wants to use you to bring restoration and healing and hope. And see, there is, there, we, have, we have foretastes of the Spirit. I'm going to say it like this. You know, people talk about heaven and hell a lot, and both of those are realities. But Jesus said that heaven is already at hand. He even went as far as to say that the kingdom of heaven is within you. Because he says, I want this earth to once again reflect the kingdom of heaven, my father's kingdom. But the problem was is that the father of lies took over and we believe the father of lies, Satan, and all of a sudden the earth began to reflect hell more than it did heaven. And rather than the kingdom of heaven being in a lot of people, do you realize that hell is already at work in people? And the end result of hell, that when we talk about people going to a literal place, what's happening is already at work in them. And what Jesus is saying is, look, yes, there is a heaven to come, and you will go there, but that's not the end. I'm coming to bring heaven and earth into a collision course, and they're going to be one once again because that's how I designed it to be. But he says, some people have believed the lie, and hell is already at work on the inside of them because it's this separation from God. Let me tell you something. If you look at this world today, you can experience that people are already experiencing hell. It's already ongoing. Yes, there is something far worse at the end of it, but they're already headed down that path, and it's already at work in them the same way that heaven is already at work in believers. Does that make sense? So the Holy Spirit is doing this, but here's the thing. What we end up doing is in the church because of this, we separate holy spaces from unholy spaces. What we say is, well, you know, God dwells at the church, and if you want to encounter God and the Holy Spirit, you've got to go to church, and, and it's, everything's got to be moving just right. You know what I'm talking about? Like the music's got to be perfect, and, and then everything's got to be flowing just right, and, and, and that's where God is, and that's where God shows up. And we separate holy spaces from unholy spaces and we say, well, God could never be there. It's too wicked there. It's too dark there. But what we find out about God and about the presence of God is that everything in creation is always under his guidance and his influence. That doesn't mean that everything has yielded to his guidance and influence, but there is no place you can go where God and the Holy Spirit are not at work. And that's my first point is the Holy Spirit is at work everywhere. He's at work everywhere. 
And I'm telling you right now, there are people in this church that I know. Some of them are good friends of mine. Some of them I don't know you that very, very well yet. But what, what is ha- the Holy Spirit is at work in your life in a profound way. And I believe he started working in your life, not necessarily when, when, when you were in a holy place, but when you were, just, when you were going about in your, in, your, in your regular days in darkness and in, and in pain and in different things. He began to work in your heart then. See, Psalm 139, verse 7, it says, he says, Where can I go from, from your presence? Where can I flee from your spirit? There's nowhere that you can go from the Spirit of God and from the presence of God. Can you sin? Yeah, you can still sin. You can resist the Spirit of God, but He's always there. You can say no to the Spirit of God, but He's always there and He's always at work. You can yield, rather rather than yielding to the Holy Spirit, you can yield to unclean spirits, but it does not mean that the Holy Spirit is not still there. And here's what I want to say, is that the Holy Spirit is always actively working in the world around us to draw you and to draw others back to the heart of God, some way or another. In Genesis, it talks about how men's hearts begin to be wicked and, and the, the, the thoughts of their hearts were only evil continually. And God makes this, the statement that the Spirit of God will not always strive with man because the Spirit of God will never coerce anybody. He'll never force anybody to do anything. He always invites. He never forces anything upon anyone. He is a gentle influence in the world saying, I love you. I want you to come to me, but he will never override your will. He protects your free will. He respects your free will. He gives you a choice. You know, some people say, well, you know, God, God's decided, you know, who's going to be saved and who's not going to be saved. And I'll just go ahead and tell you, I don't believe that. I believe personally that, and and this is based on, there, there are many men throughout history that believe this as well. But see, Titus 2.11 says that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Right? And it's at work everywhere. John 1.9 says that Jesus Christ is the light that is lighting every man that is coming into the world. Now, there are a ton of variables at work in a person getting saved. But here's what we believed. And what if, what if you believe this? Because we think some people are just beyond reach, don't we? We think some people, we think that there's drug dealers out here that are just beyond the reach of God. And here's what I'm telling you is that right now, even in drug dealers' homes, in your workplace where people are half wicked and ready to stab you in the back at a drop of a hat, in all of those places, guess who's at work? The Holy Spirit's at work. We just don't always recognize it. And he is beginning to light everyone, but he's waiting on your participation. And I, I believe this, that on some level, no matter how wicked, no matter how dark a human being is, on some level, the grace of God, because of what Jesus Christ has done, is already beginning to work in their heart on some level. Now, whether or not the church participates with that grace determines whether or not those people are ultimately going to be saved. But what if you knew that in every person's heart the grace of God was already appearing to them. It may look awful on the outside. It may look like it's impossible on the outside, but we believe that Jesus is already beginning to light their hearts, to draw them, to begin to woo them back to his purpose and back to his plans. But again, he never is coercive. But see, here's here's, here's something else that I want to say is that 
you are as likely, if you can believe it and if you can see it, you are as likely to encounter the Holy Spirit moving in a powerful way in your home, in your workplace, at a drug dealer's house. You are as likely to experience the Holy Spirit moving in those places as you are at church. The difference is is that when we come to church, we tune ourselves to what God is doing more effectively. What if you went into your workplace and you had the same mindset that you did when you went into church and said, God, what are you doing here this morning? Where are you at work? Where are you moving? What are you doing? See, we're not in tune with him because we think he's not there. We think he's at church Sunday. We don't think he's at our workplace Monday. Anybody amen me? And I'm telling you that, no, he is everywhere. He is at work working everywhere. And Jesus did not say, look, he's only in the temple. We got to go to the temple, boys. And, and, and the church has got this in their mind, that if we're going to reach people, we got to get them into the church. And my argument is, is, is if we're going to reach people, we got to reach them outside the church. And you've got to recognize that the Holy Spirit is already moving out there. But you just don't believe that he is. You've gotten convinced that he only is moving in here. But no, the Holy Spirit is at work Everywhere, And I'm going to say this, the Holy Spirit is at work in people that don't even know him. The Holy Spirit is at work in speaking to people that don't even like Jesus. Because he loves them. Amen? My second point is this, the Holy Spirit is at work in the chaos. He's at work in the chaos. Y'all ever just sense like in your life it's just like you just be like, man, this is chaotic. This is out of control. I don't even know how to deal with this. But see, the Holy Spirit is at work in the chaos. And this is, again, this is the first mention of the Holy Spirit. Verse, verse 2, it says, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. This is where we first find the Spirit of God. In the Hebrew language, it's, it's really interesting. There's, it's a crazy kind of a word. But when it says without form and void... It literally reads waste and wild. The earth was waste and wild. It was a wasteland and a wilderness. It was this place of deep darkness, this place of just chaos, utter chaos in the beginning. There was, there was nothing there that had any form. It didn't make any sense. It seemed like there was no purpose, like there was no light, like there was no chance of any kind of good coming out of it and it becoming what it is. But that is where we actually find the Spirit at work first. He is at work in the chaos. He is at work in the darkness. And He's at work... In the obscurity. Now, I, I know this from experience because I'll tell you, my most, impa- my most powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit in my personal life were a lot of times when I was at my deepest point of darkness. When I hit bottom and I thought there was no way out of this place, that my sins were going to forever have me gripped and, and the, the fear in my life and the pain in my life and the things that were going on in my life that I was never going to be able to get out of it. And somewhere when I hit the bottom of obscurity and purposelessness and the deepest darkness of my own heart, guess what I heard at the bottom? The voice of the Holy Spirit. That's where I found him. And for a lot of people, that's where they find Jesus. And there's so many people that I get to minister to on a regular basis, you know, that, that they are in such darkness, they're in such obscurity, they have no purpose in their life, it seems. And all of a sudden, in the midst of that darkness, when we begin to speak the gospel into their life, it's like a light begins to shine in the darkness. And all of a sudden, the Spirit says, I've been at work right here the whole time because I'm the one that wants to bring life and bring order to the chaos, that wants to speak right here in the midst of this darkness. This is where the Holy Spirit is before He's anywhere. We love to think that the Holy Spirit is at the place 
in the middle of church, around the altar, where people are, are getting loose. And I'm not saying he's not there. I'm just saying he's somewhere else first. Amen? Isaiah 61, see, Jesus begins to say it like this. Uh, he quotes Isaiah 61. In Isaiah 61, he says, The Spirit of the Lord, he's upon me. And he's upon me to preach the good news to the poor, to the people that don't know any good news. And he says, uh, he's upon me to heal the brokenhearted. He says, to set the captives free, to set those that are oppressed, and to deliver them from the prison and the chains that they're shackled in. And then he begins to say this, and he begins to say what the Holy Spirit does. He says, the Holy Spirit gives beauty for ashes. Where there was once ashes, all of a sudden God takes that that was ugly and a mess and that you didn't want to show to anybody and he brings beauty up out of it all of a sudden. He says, the Holy Spirit gives the oil of joy for mourning. Where there was mourning and brokenness and fear, he says, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit begins to bring joy and new life. He says that the Holy Spirit is the one that gives a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness where people were depressed and broken and they didn't have any purpose and they were weighed down by the cares of this life, he says the Holy Spirit then comes into the midst of that pain and begins to bring a garment of praise into their life. And then he says this, and the people who experience that, you know what they'll do? He says they'll go to the ruined cities and the wasted places and the things that are broken down and they will repair them and raise them up and build them up. Because when we be... Listen, every time that your heart is moved and you begin to say, look, that thing looks terrible, it's ugly, it looks like nothing's ever going to work, and you begin to say, but I see beauty rising up out of that and I'm looking to create something new and I believe that God will bring new life into that very place where it's dark. God, you are beginning to come in line and in step with the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter if you're in church or you're in business or you're in politics or what you're in. When the Holy Spirit is inside of you, he's saying, look, I want to breathe new life into my creation. And there's places where, uh, where it looks so dark and it looks so dim, but the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you and says, I'm, I'm looking for you to let me flow through you, and I'm going to raise new life up in this place. I'm going to bring beauty where there was ashes. I'm going to bring joy where there was mourning and brokenness. And see, the good news is... That when this is going on, he's already at work. But here's what I want you to ask yourself this morning is, when you look in your own heart, and we, and we know that the Holy Spirit, that where he's at is he is hovering over the darkness, over the chaos. What about those places in your own heart where there's chaos, where there's darkness, where there's brokenness, where there's fear, where there's all those things what about those own places in your heart? What about those places in your heart? And this is the encounter retreat like we went to this weekend. One of the biggest issues in people's lives is when they experience trauma or pain or any kind of thing, what they do is they stuff it down into the dark and they suppress it and they say, I don't ever want to deal with that. And the Holy Spirit begins to shine a light into that dark room and say, I want you to open that door and let me shine light into it because as long as you keep that down in the dark... As long as you keep that suppressed and you don't give that to me and let my light shine into it, you're going to be shackled by the bitterness and the hatred and the frustration and the anger and all of those things that you carry. And it's going to lead you, continue to lead you into addiction. It's going to continue to lead you into destructive lifestyle behaviors. And he's saying, but guess what? I love you. And that's why I'm right here in the darkness hovering, waiting on you, wooing you, saying, look, you can't hide it. I'm already there. Because I, I, I know in a room like this, I just know, because it doesn't matter where we go, that there are people even in this room right now that you got serious sexual issues. 
Some people are addicted to pornography. Some people just struggle with things. They're constantly being pulled at by lust and all sorts of different things. And God says, you know what, that doesn't, that doesn't scare me. I'm hovering right there. Some of you have relationship issues. Your marriage is, 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 is a little bit messed up and you've been a jerk. Some of, some of you guys, you've been jerks for the past three years. And it's, and it's hindering your relationship. And, and guess what? God doesn't say you've ruined it. You know what he says? He says, that's where I'm hovering to breathe new life. Some of you have money issues and you're very fearful of what's going to happen. And God says, I'm in that chaos to bring order and purpose to the chaos and to bring new life in that area. That's where the Holy Spirit is hovering first and foremost. See, here's the thing. Not only does he do this to us, but he does this through us. And we've got to learn as the people of God to respond to the work of the Holy Spirit. Here's my third work is that the Holy Spirit, my third point is that the Holy Spirit is a helper. Now, this sounds very... Very simple, but if you read John 14, 16, Jesus had a lot to say about the Holy Spirit because Jesus lived his life completely reliant upon the Holy Spirit. He did zero ministry until he was filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit came upon him. And it's the same for us. We cannot expect to do ministry effectively unless we are filled with and the Holy Spirit is upon us. And when we try, I've tried, you, you could try to do ministry apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, and it, you know what it does? It just falls flat to the ground. But when we as a church realize, you know, we, we say this all the time because Paul said, you all are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we say, we, we say that to mean individually, that I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you know what he was actually saying? He was using the plural there. He was saying, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Corporately, you're the temple. You're a block in the temple. You're not a temple as an individual, but when we meet together because we seek God, when we come together in unity and in faith and in one accord and we say, God, we're open to however you want to, want to use us. Because here's the thing. It, things like, even things that happened this morning, we didn't discuss what we believed, the God, how God was moving or what he was saying, but he had something in his heart and he's able to connect three, four people, five people, whatever he needs to do to speak the message that he needs to speak because we don't have to necessarily, we do prepare but sometimes the Spirit just says, you know what, because you're a yielded vessel, I can use you. I can anoint you. I can equip you to do something. I can speak through you in this moment, and I can do something through you. But here's what it says in John 14, 16, when Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. He says, I will pray the Father. Jesus is praying to the Father right now for you. And he says, and he will give you another helper. I don't know about you, but I need plenty of help. Anybody amen me? And the word helper there is this really interesting Greek word, Parakletos, and it's actually different than helper, and it means one that is called alongside to counsel, assist, and help or aid that he may abide with you forever. And so every day of my life, I'm living as if no matter what circumstance I'm in, I don't care if it's, I need to change a tire effectively. And I'm, and I'm not kidding you, because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will teach you all things. And I know that he is by my side walking alongside me. He is in me, but he is the one that has been called beside me to counsel me, to assist me, to help me, to aid me in whatever I'm doing. And I'm telling you right now, right now he is by my side because there's no way I would be up here speaking to you if he had not done a work in my heart. He is our supernatural assistant and we have to be aware of him. Jesus was so adamant about it 
that whenever he did work through the Holy Spirit and people, people made fun of him for it and said, look, it's, it's by the devil that you cast out devils. Jesus said, listen, this is how important the Holy Spirit is. You can blaspheme the Father, you can blaspheme me, but if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven you in this life or the next. He's saying this is how important it is as the body of Christ to respect the work of the Holy Spirit and to rely on the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because if we do not have Him in our lives, influencing us, giving us guidance, giving us direction, we become ineffective as the church. He says, but guess what? I've got a helper for you. But here's what's so interesting is even in creation, what we see is how creation happens, how, how everything is made, how the world is made, is that God speaks and then the Spirit brings it about. Right? The Spirit is hovering over creation just waiting for God to speak. He's just hovering there waiting in the darkness, just waiting for God to speak. And when God's Word is released, the Spirit brings it to pass. And God, God is, he reveals himself not as this independent God who's just standing off bossing people and telling people what to do, but God actually reveals himself and he expresses himself as one who is interdependent. The Father relies on the Son and the Spirit. The Son relies on the Father and the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit points and relies both on the Father and the Son. And they're constantly interdependent. And what is so beautiful is what He does is when the Holy Spirit calls us and saves us, He says, I want to invite you into this so that my will will be done on earth as it is in heaven when you come into agreement with me as the church and you begin to pray, Father, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let your will be done. And then all of a sudden he says, I want to invite you in this. I want you to participate with me. And here's what I want to say. The same way that God speaks into the darkness and says, let there be light and there was light. God has given his church the commandment to do what? To proclaim his word in the earth. And I believe that the Spirit is hovering over places that you never dreamed of in the lives of your family members and people that you know that are struggling with deep things. And what God is saying is, I'm already hovering right there in the darkness and I'm waiting for you to step in there and unleash my word into that situation. And when you unleash my word into that situation, I'll bring new life and new creation. Psalm 33 verse 6 says, By the word of the Lord... The heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. See, God's Spirit is giving, given marching orders by God's Word, and we are, proclaim, we, we, we are called to proclaim that world. God doesn't say, God doesn't invite you, He doesn't say you can share in this because it's too much work for him. God can do anything. He is in need of nothing. But guess what? He wants to multiply the joy. He wants us to experience the same joy that he has when he makes things new, when he breathes new life. And he says, he says this, My word, I created all the heavens by my word and all the earth and everything that's in it by the breath of my mouth. That word, the breath of his mouth, is the same word for spirit. By the spirit of his mouth. And when we speak and when we come into alignment with God's word, all of a sudden new creation begins to spring forth. And see, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And here's what's so interesting though about this is notice how the spirit works. Because it says something about the spirit that's kind of weird. Like it says that the spirit was hovering, right? Like a hovercraft or something. Like you're just kind of levitating, waiting. You know what I'm saying? He's hovering. And I thought, man, that, that's kind of a weird word. Like, why is the Spirit of God just kind of, uh, just, just like hovering, waiting on something? But the word is actually only used one place in the Old Testament, and that's here. But there's a root word, 
And, and it's in different places, but here's, here's the other place that it's in. It's in two other places. Here's the first place it's in. It's in Deuteronomy 32, verse 10 and 11. Here's what it says. It says, He found him in a desert land and in the wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him, he instructed him, he kept him as the apple of his eye. As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, that's where the word is, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings. So the, 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 the first picture of the Holy Spirit is, is the picture of a mama eagle. Now, I think, I think this is kind of why whenever you remember the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, he descended upon him like a what? Like a dove. And it's, and it's pointing back to the fact that in the beginning, the picture of the Holy Spirit was like a mama eagle hovering over her chicks, ho- hovering over her young to protect them, to nurture them, and to care for them. So the picture that we have of the Holy Spirit, the first picture is that he is, it's raw power, it's creative power. But how does that creative power take place? It does not take place by him being coercive or him forcing something or him hollering at the egg saying, Hatch! Because I think sometimes when we think the Holy Spirit's moving, that we got to be real forceful and we got to make something happen. He's saying, no, when the Holy Spirit is at work, He's very gentle. He's nurturing. He's caring. He's, he's very caring. And He's actually looking to create an environment and an atmosphere for life to break forth out of those eggs. Y'all, y'all ever watched... Y'all ever watched a bird cover its eggs or, or maybe even like a baby cat take care of its young? You know what I'm talking about? Like they are very, they're very protecting. You come around. Our cat had some kittens the other day and I walked up to check on them and that cat was, it was just sitting there. I'd never heard it make that sound before, but it was an angry kind of a sound. You know what I'm saying? Because, because why? I posed a threat that what I would do is quench the life of that young kitten before it had time to grow forth into new life. And so that kitten, that cat was covering its kittens. It was, it, was, it was hovering over them, protecting them, nurturing them. And see, that's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. And he comes in gentleness and nurturing and in mercy. Now, here's what I want to ask is what is the Holy Spirit doing in your life to, for you to help create an atmosphere and an environment for people to, to spring forth into new life? See, here's what it says. And here's what I'll say is that we, we become Holy Spirit people by first by being present. No matter where you're at, see, the Holy Spirit was just there. He was everywhere waiting. And no matter where you're at, no matter where God sends you, if you are a child of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you, you've got to begin to recognize there's a reason I'm here in this, in this moment right now. And to be present with the Holy Spirit and recognize and say, God, what are you wanting to do here? Even if it's, even if it's just as simple as encouraging the person that's right there in the room with you. Just as simple as saying, hey, man, I love you. It's good to see you. Just something that will breathe life into the moment. What is God doing? See, because we're not so much supposed to be asking, what, what God, here's what we want to do. Here's what we want to see do. God's saying, no, I'm already doing all kinds of stuff. If you'll ask me, I'll begin to open your eyes and show you where I'm hovering and where I'm waiting for you to begin to speak. But you need to be present and be aware. Secondly, we got to begin to be patient. Because the Holy Spirit begins to work in people. I don't know about you, but when the Holy Spirit began to work in me, it took a while before things got lined out. There was chaos in my life, and it took a while before things began to come in order. 
And sometimes I think when people get saved, we're just like, man, we want them to be ready and be, everything be right right now. Everything be perfect right now. But what we have to do is create an environment, an atmosphere where we can nurture them, where we can care for them and begin to allow new life to bring, spring forth. And the, the third thing is, is that we have to be nurturing. We have to allow the Spirit of God to use us in a way where we can come alongside people to help them, to assist them, to aid them, to strengthen them. Amen? Listen, y'all can come to the music. I want to share just a, a couple more things, and then we'll finish up. But here's, here's the last thing I want to say is that the Holy Spirit, we think of him being in the New Testament a lot, but what we see here even in Genesis is that he is he's at work in the Old Testament, and he is at work primarily to influence, to empower, and to enhance human ability with divine enablement. The first mention of anybody ever being filled with the Holy Spirit is in the book of Genesis chapter 41, and it was Joseph. And Joseph was actually in a dark place for a long time. He was in prison. He, was, he, he had been in, enslaved. He was, a, he was a, a servant. But all of a sudden, he's exalted, and he comes before Pharaoh. And at this time, there was getting ready to be a very dark season of drought and nothingness. And Pharaoh has a dream, and nobody can interpret that dream. And Joseph comes out to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh tells Joseph the dream, and Joseph interprets the dream. And you know what Pharaoh says to him? He says, we're going to go ahead and put you over the land, because who can we find? Can we find such a one in whom dwells the Spirit of God? But here's what he was saying to Joseph. He was saying, here's what I realize is that you could not know that unless you were given knowledge from an outside source. And I'm telling you, in your life, if you can be open to it, the Holy Spirit will give you knowledge that you never had before. It's actually the word that we get. You know the word genius? It comes from a Latin word, genie. And it means that there, there's a moral guide from the outside that comes within you to give you guidance and to give you influence. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He comes outside of you. He comes within you to give you guidance and to give you direction and to give you knowledge that you could not have on your own. But see, he was bringing order to the chaos the entire time. The second mention of the Holy Spirit at work in the Scripture is a dude named Bezalel. And here's what it says in Exodus 35. And you can read it. It's verse 30 through 33. But it says that the Lord gave him. It says that he called Bezalel. You can go to the next verse. And it says, And he filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship to design artistic works to work in gold and silver and bronze in cutting jewels for setting and carving wood and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. Now this is interesting because when we think of the Holy Spirit, we don't think of things like this, do we? But God filled this man with the Holy Spirit. And this is what I want to say to you this morning. Is that God is wanting to fill many of you with the Holy Spirit. Not only for ministry that you would think about. Because when we think of ministry, we think of preaching. We think of teaching the Word. And those are awesome and those are amazing. But God has put you in a place with an occupation, with a job, with a family, with different things. And He's saying, I've gifted you in this area. And what I want you to do is begin to give me those gifts. Turn your job and your career over to me. And I I will anoint you to do things that you've never dreamed of before. He fills him with the Spirit. And Bezalel, what he does is he makes the tabernacle, which is a picture of Jesus. And he does it perfectly, flawlessly, so that when people would look at the tabernacle, they would look at the Ark of the Covenant, they would see the reflection of Jesus. And see, we're called to do that same thing. We're building the tabernacle so that we could see the reflection of Jesus. And lastly, 
God begins to move because in Israel there was chaos. People disobedient to God throughout the Old Testament. But you see the Spirit of God beginning to move on the prophets and on the judges. And what were they sent to do? They were sent to bring order in the chaos. And Micah, in, in, in chapter 3, verse 8, he was, a, he was a prophet. And he says, I am full of power by the Holy Spirit of the Lord and of justice and courage to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. See, one of the things that the Holy Spirit will do for people is that he will give them boldness. And what he gave Micah was the ability to discern the current spiritual condition of Israel. He could say, look, this is wrong. And he wasn't calling out the normal people. You know who he was calling out? He was calling out the false prophets and the religious leaders of his day because they were not reaching out to people. They were not loving people. They were using people for their own financial gain. It wasn't the normal townspeople that he was going and calling their sin out to. It was the people that were in, in charge religiously. And he says, you all are not paying attention to the darkness around you. You're not looking at the chaos and you're not looking to breathe new life. You're using everything for your own selfish purposes. You see, the Holy Spirit will sometimes give us boldness to speak life into somebody, to correct somebody, to challenge somebody, to do what needs to be done in order to bring order in the chaos. And all of this, all of this is pointing to the fact that Jesus the Christ would come. The anointed one, Jesus the anointed one, anointed with the Holy Spirit would come and he would bring new life and he would bring new creation because he's not just restoring a few things. When he returns, guess what he's doing? He says, I'm making all things new. The same way the Holy Spirit brought, new, brought a creation in the beginning, he says, I'm making a new creation out of you right now by the Spirit. And what's going to happen in the end is that one day I'm coming back and I'm making all things new by the power of the same Spirit. I want you to stand to your feet just for a moment. Just take a moment right now and, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak into those dark places. And, here, and here's, two, here's, here's two things that I want to say. I, I believe that for some people there, there are these areas in your life and in your heart that it's just there, there's some darkness, there's some obscurity. It just feels like it's chaotic in that area. And right now the Holy Spirit is saying, that's where I'm hovering. That's where I want to begin to do work and to breathe new life into that place where it seems chaotic. And I want to bring order and purpose and structure to what's going on in your life. I want to do that in your life right now. And for other people, here's what I know, is that you have been called and the Spirit of God is calling you and He's drawing you and He's saying, I brought order to your life and I've made you a new creation and you are my child and you've seen me bring freedom and deliverance in areas of your life. And right now I am desiring to anoint you and to equip you to anoint you and to equip you to bring order to the chaos in other people's lives. And you may not even know specifically what that is, but you know deep down somewhere that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you because you know you're called to take, maybe like Bezalel, to, to, to take raw materials and make something beautiful out of raw materials. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing right now. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to invite, I'm going to invite both, both sets of those people. If you, if you know that there's a place in your life where there's darkness and obscurity and you just, you need something, you need Jesus to speak to that area of your life, I want you to come forward right now and I want, I want, to, be, I want to begin to pray with you. 
But also, if you, if you, if you feel like, man, God is calling me, and I, and I just, I need, I need divine help. I need the helper and the Holy Spirit to come upon me and to empower me to do something that I've never been able to do before. If that's you, I want you to come forward. And some of you all that, that will pray, I want, you to, I want you to come forward to pray. But begin to come. Begin to come.